Uh-oh, it looks like we piqued your interest in the hideout. First of all, let me tell you what the hideout is not. The hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap in to the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family, your children, and your relationships? Alignment in business, strategic partnerships, and joint ventures all come from true relationships. The hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever need them. This is not your typical mastermind. The hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything, joy. And when joy is overflowing in your life, you'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything on today's show. Uh, this man uh, really touched my heart because we we had met a couple of times, and then uh, there was a time at, uh, in San Diego, we were at a convention called Secret Knock, and if you haven't heard of Secret Knock, it's actually the coolest convention that you're not allowed to go to unless you get invited. Uh, so it's always sold out, um, but it's I, I have the honor this year to be able to be co-hosting it with the, uh, with the great Greg Reed, and that, also Prosperity Camp is another place where uh, Brian and I connected. And uh, again, if you haven't gotten in touch with Prosperity Camp, with Secret Knock, it's the, they're the two greatest events that you actually can't go to unless you're invited. So I, I, I encourage every one of you out there, be kind, uh, make a contribution to everyone, make a ton of friends, and then stay really curious about what other people do. And it makes it really easy because then all you have to do is be yourself. Um, we also have the hideout coming. The hideout uh, is, uh, you saw the commercial for it. That said September 23rd through the 25th. But our next hideout is the winter. And it's February 3rd through the 5th. I tell you, we're batting a 1,000. We had 12 guys out the last time. We had 12 transformations, whether it was personal, professional, spiritual, or financial. And I, the, the hideout, you never know who's going to show up to the hideout. And the transformations that happen have been absolutely groundbreaking. So to, back to the man of the hour. The man of the hour today, um, this guy blew me away, not only because his skill set, which we're going to get into, but because of his heart. Um, we were talking earlier before we started recording, and what he was telling me was once he started to focus on other people and started to focus on them, everything around him started to change. And uh, I, I think it's one of the coolest stories for me because he was doing something that he was being rewarded for at a really high level, mm -hmm. but his heart wasn't there. And he chose to go with his heart. 
and I, I think he's the best in the world at what he does. Um, you know, he's got a company called SubtleSkills.com. Uh, he's gonna read me today, and he he has before, but I want to show you this this kind of stuff, the facial recognition. I mean, it is unbelievable what this man could do. But even more than his skill, his heart is bigger than this world. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Brian Gawkey. Thanks for having me, Kelly. It's go so good to see you, man. Oh, absolutely. So let's let's jump right in, man. I mean, uh, why would why would you step away from something that is rewarding you at a high level, right? Because a lot of people are like, I need to follow my heart, and then and then you know, reality. We live in reality, right? We live in the world where we you know have responsibilities, things like that. Um, and I applaud you because now you're going after exactly what is in your heart. What 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 prompted that? Um, I, after 21 and a half years, uh, me and the company didn't work out anymore. And it was one of those things of every morning I got up, I dreaded walking to my laptop and opening it, wondering what's going to be wrong today. And it got to be su to such a point that every time my phone rang or I got a text message, it was Pavlov's dog in the bad way. Like, I'm like, what's going to be wrong now? What's going to be wrong now? And it, so it was a day to day misery for a paycheck. And ironically, I watched my dad do that and I didn't realize that I followed in his footsteps. Right. So, um, I, my parents divorced when I was young. My stepdad is my dad. My dad is my dad. Also, um, my dad was a very hard worker and I remember him going to work, coming home and being miserable from the day to day job. But because he had five weeks of vacation, he stayed for a very, very long time. And, you know, our parents mean well for us when they're like, go to school, get a good job. But that's not the day and age we live in today. But I followed in those footsteps. And over 21 years, I got 14 promotions. And so you're like, okay, well, I make more money. And there comes to be a, a tipping point where the money's so good, you fear going after anything else. And But at the end of the day, I was unhappy. And so you know where you can tell what you're passionate about is what do you do in your spare time? And so in my spare time, where other people would go to the beach with a swim-up bar or something like that, don't get me wrong, I've done that. I would go to courses and seminars and go give talks on this thing that changed my life. And it's one of those things I get up and I get excited now, like uh, right before even we were doing this some people reached out to me on Instagram and like, can you analyze my face? And so I don't charge them for it. Normally that is a charge service, but I just was happy doing it. So. So yeah. help us with this because facial reading, right? I said facial recognition. I, I my my bad yeah. on that one, um, but the the I I think of it that way too because you're you're recognizing the things and it's it's uncanny how you can do this. Um, the but the facial reading. Right. If I was to if I was to think back, you know, I'm in fifth grade. Someone asked me what I want to do. I say right. a doctor. I say a lawyer, I, only because those people had big cars mm -hmm. and big houses. Um, maybe I want exactly. to be a basketball player. I don't say to my right. teacher, I want to be a facial reader. Can you explain? Can you explain? Because this, but it's one of the most sure. powerful things that I've ever experienced, especially coming from you. So can you explain this and help us to understand what this, uh, this art is? Absolutely. So uh, nobody plans to do it, but yet we all do it subconsciously. And the reason I say that is this was taught to authors and artists on how to describe characters in the book. So they actually used to take courses in something called physiognomy, and that is how to understand other people based on their facial features. 
So if you think about in school, we had to read a lot of books, but it wasn't like modern books where they take a picture of exactly who they want the character to be. You read who it was and you created that character in your mind. Well, the reason there's consistency is because they took those same courses, right? And so in addition to what we learned through reading and education, it's part of our everyday language. So we say things like, keep a stiff upper lip, keep your nose to the grindstone. They've got an eye for this. They've got an ear for this. Highbrow humor, lowbrow humor. All these things describe our faces, but we haven't been formally taught. And what happened is in 2011, I had a friend who was coming to town for a trade show and we were supposed to meet for dinner and she called up in the last minute. I'd sat down I'm like, all right, what time are you going to be here? She said, I'm not coming. And I thought, oh, here we go. Right. I was being pissy. And she's like, you need to come meet this guy. I'm like, nope. I sat down. I'm where we said we were going to be. I'm going to have dinner here. And she's like, no, trust me. Come meet this guy. I'm like, why do I need to come over there? She's like, because he reads faces. I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> so I went over there and I was the most anti person going into this, right? Um, and that was, I thought, all right, if she's going to rearrange the plans, I'm going to meet this guy, but I'm going to prove that this guy's full of it. And I don't know if I can cuss here or not, but I would normally say full of, you know, you know what? <laughs> and so I went to dinner thinking this guy's going to say like horoscope stuff, Barnum statements, you know, like, oh, you've had a hard time in life. Well, no crap. So is everybody. But instead, this guy tactically broke down eight people at the table, but it, what he picked was different facial features and nobody disagreed with what he said. And I was instantly hooked because I, I told you before we started, I'm an introvert, but I'm a weird introvert because I love being around people. But yet being an introvert is like being alone in a crowd of a thousand people because I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't know what to talk about with people and everything else. So I'd read NLP books, you know, mirroring, matching, all that. I read body language books. I mean, you can see I've got quite a few here and this is just one of my small bookcases because I felt like I missed that day at school where people taught you how to interact with people. And it's kind of ironic because I'm, I was out socially, people thought I was a social person and really I was miserable inside. And when I met Mac, it's like a light bulb went off. I was like, wait a minute. Okay. So I watched him do it. I immediately bought his book. Um, I have the older book sitting over here. I'll grab it in a minute, but this is a copy of his newer book called the power of face reading. And what he's gotten here is he went, he was an attorney who learned basically physiognomy and put it into a book and it describes each individual feature. And, uh, in the book that I still carry around back from 2011, what I would do is I would go and actually, I think I've got it right here. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I'm all over the place with no, you today. I love it, man. Um, I took it with me because I'm writing my own book right now. And uh, so, but I always keep this so people can see where I started. And so the way I learned it was you highlight the features and then I would go out and test it in public. And um, I was the biggest skeptic, but I saw success in it. And at that point, after I bought the book and I kind of tested it a little bit, I would drive to Fort Worth, which is 45 minutes away, twice a month to spend an hour or two with this guy. And here he was a highly successful attorney and he left the law profession because he saw he can make an impact on people. Wow. And I was hooked. And this is at a time when I was still on the help desk. Being an introvert, I always chose jobs where people had to come to me, right? Worked retail. I was a server. I was a bartender. I was a bouncer. My entire career selection was all on. I wanted to interact with people, but I didn't want to be leading it. And so I chose jobs where people have to come to you. And then I learned this and I went through 14 different promotions. And the last title I had was regional vice president of sales with a $40 million book of business. 
So Brian, yeah. help, help us to understand this too, because I think a lot of times we get labeled with stuff, right? And so I want to talk about that, that label part of it, of you talking about an introvert. What do you think were the components to, to cause that to happen? Um, I don't know that there is any one thing. Um, I didn't grow up with siblings around the same age. There was okay. a seven year difference between me and my sister, Mike. Right. So I have two, two sisters and three brothers. Two sisters with my mom and stepdad, three brothers with my dad and stepmom. My dad and stepmom grew up in a different part of the country, so I saw them occasionally, right, a few times a year. But there was a seven-year difference between me and my uh, next oldest sister, and then my youngest sister is a 15-year difference. And so I didn't, I had friends, but I didn't grow up with siblings. And I think a lot of times, and, and trust me, I have one daughter, and I, I sometimes worry about only kid syndrome for this very reason, and so I go out of my way to teach her to be social so she doesn't feel what I feel. But um, I don't know that there's really anything that you can pinpoint. It's not, you were know, your this one Were your event. parents older? Uh, so you had older siblings. Were your parents older when they had you? Oh, no, sorry. Um, my mom and dad had me, then they divorced, and then they each had kids after that. So I was the oldest. But really no, they were okay. early 20s when they had me. Okay. Um, and what's funny is like when I was a kid, I used to go and like when talk to the construction workers and everything next door. And I don't know what was the thing that went into that introvert side, but it happened over time. And like, like I said, I would go to events like secret knock, but I always picked the chair in the back of the room so I could pay attention to the whole room, but I didn't really have to interact with anybody. What about the part when you talked about earlier, where you said that you didn't really fit in, where do you think that that came from? You know, as a kid, as Brian, I mean, if you meet Brian and everyone out there that's watching, um, they see your eyes, they see who you are. Like, I I wanted to talk to you. I'm sitting chatting with you. You know what I mean? So when you're saying that you don't fit in, like we're, Mm -hmm. let's take it back to early on Brian, um, you know, seven, eight year old Brian, whatever it is. What, when did you start to notice that, that you didn't fit in? Um, and why did that matter? Sure. Um, I can give you something that anybody who knew me growing up will think this is funny. I didn't own jeans to like junior high. And that was, um, I always wore sweatpants because growing up in Texas, the air conditioning in schools was not that cool. And, uh, but it would be so hot in all the rooms that if you wear sweatpants, you can like pull your pants up a little bit, like to your knee, if you're, <laughs> if you're hot in class. And so, uh, I mean, when I grew up in Texas, we had all kinds of crazy rules, like the Texas bluebird law, which was on Sundays, they would take, uh, duct tape or not du- masking tape and they would block off certain aisles at the grocery store that you couldn't buy things on a Sunday. So you could only buy food. You couldn't buy anything extra. So if you wanted like pencils or something, crayons, you couldn't do that in Texas. So Texas used to be very strict and rigid. Uh, we couldn't wear shorts up until junior high. Um, so I think part of that was just, I was, I had my own, you could stop, say sense of style, but it wasn't a cool one. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I was kind of a heavier, I was a chunkier little kid, so I wasn't the fastest one. And I started off in soccer, and soccer was a very bonding sport, right, because you play as a team and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, just at some point, it, I didn't feel like I always fit in with everybody. So, How old um, were you when your parents divorced? Uh, three. So I really okay, so had you- no recollection of it. Yeah. Did you have to deal with other – because uh, this is always a, a curious part of my, of my, my, sure. uh, my mind – is I never had to deal with my mom hanging out with anybody but my dad. Yeah. And 
from a guy's standpoint, I remember the my parents got separated. I'm not saying I lived in a Beaver Cleaver family, but I remember my parents sure. getting separated. And this dude tried to holler at my mom at the grocery store. And Oof. and I was younger, so I was maybe sixth grade. So, I mean, even if I would have tried to punch him, I would have hit him in his, like, kneecap. Mm-hmm. But my brother was in eighth grade, and my brother's a lion. And then yeah. my other brother was in 10th grade. And my uh, eighth grade brother and 10th grade brother went to this dude. He was probably 24, 25 years old. And my mom, you know, my mom was young, but, and, mm-hmm. but this dude was younger than, and the, both of them went to him, this dude in the store, and was like, yo, don't be looking at my mom. You know what I mean? The dude never looked at my mom again. So wow. help me to understand how is it to have, because I, I, I've never really asked that directly from a person because sure. I never really had to deal with it. Was that challenging or was that just normal for you? It was normal for me because when you grow up, you don't know any different. Um, so being that my parents divorced it too, like, I have one memory as a two-year-old of walking through the old house in Wyoming with boxes everywhere. But then my mom and stepdad, like my memory is growing up with my stepdad as my dad. And so there wasn't in my mind a, a gap really between it. And when you're at that young age, you see people who are around, but you don't really understand the connection of it all. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Now, what do you wish that you would have known, like with the face reading, right? So I want to give them an example of this. You broke me down. Like we were there at Secret Knock and it was, I I was like, I was so curious on it. And I was like, but I was the dude at the table. Like you were, I was like, this ain't real. You know what I'm saying? He's going to tell me some generalizations. Yep. Hook us up right now. So the people watching, so they can, they can see this. So the people watching know me. Uh, we hang right. out a lot. We hang out on YouTube. We hang out on uh, Facebook. We hang out on Instagram. And if you're not subscribed right now to YouTube, will you do it? Because my son thinks I'm cooler when I have subs. And there's 84% <laughs> people, uh, Brian, 84% of the people that watch the show aren't subscribed yeah. right now. So subscribe. Really? Do it right now. Mash the button. Like the whole thing. Do it. You're okay, there. So, Why not just that one extra step, right? Help us out, man. Help us out sure. with this. I want you to take me through it because this is this is uncanny what you do. Yeah. Man. So I'll tell I'll talk about something we have in common that is angled eyebrows. So when you see angled eyebrows on people, that is, what's my angle? Help me understand so I can help other people. So there are three basic types of eyebrows. There's straight eyebrows. Get straight to the point. Don't waste my time. Then you see people with rounded eyebrows. Well, rounded eyebrows are they think about the people around them uh, first and themselves second. So they're the entire reason when you get on a plane, they have to do the message that says, in the event of emergency, put on your own mask before putting the mask <laughs> on others, right? And then there's angled eyebrow people like you and I. So I didn't get this angled eyebrow until I was a corporate trainer. And once I had to learn the material to regurgitate it to other people, that's when that started to form. So I'll show you a picture here in a minute of uh, me as a younger kid, because I actually, in my presentations, And when I'm doing training, I'll show a picture of me at 18 versus 38. So you can see all the ways that my face has changed over time, because that's a big question that comes up is, well, aren't your faces constantly adjusting? Yes, they are. But uh, this angled eyebrow, when you see that on somebody, all you have to think is, what's my angle? Help them understand it so they can help other people. Right. And so you have that angled eyebrow. So I know you're wanting to learn these things. And what's the reason you want to learn? So then you can apply it and help others. And what's interesting is angled eyebrows are seen as authority points. 
So if you talk to someone and there's a great uh, meme out there where somebody draws different eyebrows on their baby and the baby's smiling the same, but we interpret the baby differently based on their eyebrows, right? Um, and I have another one in my, my presentation. People say, oh, eyebrows aren't that important. Go and Google people without eyebrows and you will not recognize the celebrities that are up on screen because you're just like that. That's awkward when you see them like Angelina Jolie creepy without eyebrows, Nicolas Cage, creepy without eyebrows. And for some reason they always show up first. So I don't know why people pick them to erase their eyebrows <laughs> off of their face, but they are always out there. I mean, if we have time in a second, I'll, I'll literally Google it live and show you a picture of it, but it's but crazy. Brian, um, Brian, so what about the person out there that's saying, well, I arch my eyebrows because I'm trying to become an authority and get my angle on. What, what about well, that person? You just actually answered the question, right? Why did they choose that? Why didn't they say, I'm going to put these round eyebrows out there? Nobody taught them the difference, right? But because we've read it and we've been trained through what we see in comic books, cartoons, wow. Disney movies, we understand. And there's, there's a very high, it's like 93% of people, uh, women who shave off their eyebrows. If they want to be an authority figure, they will draw it back as an angled eyebrow. And so I could show you it in the book or like in here, even he has flashcards and talk about what do angled eyebrows mean? versus other eyebrows. So it needs to be mentally in control, you know, evaluates carefully, can be intimidating. Now, what's interesting also is they make great leaders because people see the angled eyebrow and they're like, okay, this person wants to be in charge. I will follow them. Because a lot of people want someone else to be in charge. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So keep, keep going, man. Keep, help, yeah. help us with this because now... <laughs> I think a lot of times, I mean, did, th did this kill it for you though? Because in the dating world, are, are you able to just be like, yo, I enjoy this person. Or are you like, no, she's going to do this because her mouth is moving that way or her eyes are that way. So it's more of understanding the person. So I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I had a failed relationship because I was in a relationship with somebody who had very full upper eyelids and had a verbal affirmation line right here. So fuller eyelids. I make up rhymes, right? So the more lid you see, the more they think in terms of we. So if I was dating somebody who had a very full upper eyelid and then they had that verbal affirmation line, well, the fuller eyelid, they think in terms of we, hey, where are we going? What do we want to do? And I don't have a lot of upper eyelid. I do now because I'm, I'm tilting down for the camera, but normally I don't. So my thing is like, okay, I'm going to go do this. If somebody joins, it's a bonus. Like last year, I just woke up on the day after Christmas and Dallas didn't feel very Christmassy to me and I didn't have my daughter. So I hopped on a plane by myself and I went to New Orleans because I wanted to have that Christmas feel and all the hotels get decked up kind of like New York City does on the inside with huge Christmas trees and everything. But somebody who has a fuller upper eyelid, they're like, oh, hell no, I can't go take off. I won't even go to a movie or dinner by myself. So what you learn is it's not judgment, it's understanding. So you can look at somebody else and let's say, for example, I was to go on a date with somebody who had a very full upper eyelid. If I thought there was long-term potential for the date, I would let them know up front, hey, I'm a person who enjoys doing things a lot of solitary. Uh, sometimes I just run without thinking. So if you want to join me on something, just say, hey, I want to go. But I won't always ask because that's not my default mannerism. And when you can explain those things, you're telling people who you are and what the differences are. Um, it's kind of funny. During the pandemic, so many people were sending me pictures of like, hey, here's this person. I want, will you analyze their face? Will you analyze their face? I just, you know what they say is if you get enough questions about it, you do something about it. I created a course. So if you go to uh, lookingforloveandalltherongfaces.com, there's a, like a $300 <laughs> course on how to understand people because I got tired of people asking me. Um, let me show you an example here. Uh, 
Like, well, I Brian, I think, I think it's cool when you're talking about it because, you know, I, maybe, maybe it's just because I'm petty, but I'm saying like, if I, if I, if I was a, a master at this, I, mm -hmm. I would be using it sometimes as a weapon. That's why God hasn't blessed me with this skill. <laughs> well, so I'll tell you, that's the question that comes up all the time. Is it, is it, um, what do you call it? Uh, is it manipulation? Well, the question is, and this is the answer I give. I used to be an obnoxious tourist, right? I used to travel when I was younger to other countries and I thought they should speak English. And if they don't, I'll speak English louder and then they'll somehow understand me, right? Which is a very- <laughs> and slower, slower and louder, yeah. right? Yeah, slower and louder. And what I realized is when I changed that, now anywhere I go in the world, if English isn't the default language there, then I learn basic phrases. Please, thank you, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, where's the bathroom? You know, important questions. When you do that, when you try, people pay attention. And so that's the whole thing is all that I'm doing is I know what I want to say, no different than going to another country. Now I'm just putting it in language that you understand. And so it's not manipulation. It's creating rapport because I'm out of respect. I'm speaking to the way that you want to be spoken to, even though I know what I want to say. Brian, keep it, keep it going. You talked about the oh, yeah. eyebrows. Okay. So sure. you said with my, with my eyebrows, is it just one of them? Cause one of them is getting yep. kind of light. I, I feel like I'm yep. getting a little older cause I have that one. What happens if you have one like eyebrow that sticks out and grows longer? What does that mean? Uh, so that they say in the book that each <laughs> eyebrow is almost like a separate thought, right? So that's the crazy thought that's out there. So they're literally in the book they have, if you have no bushy way, eyebrows. it says that oh, really, yeah. you got crazy. Yeah. You got, what, what is that one? The crazy idea? Bushy eyebrows. Yeah, so they say like each eyebrow is almost like a, a train of thought, a different idea. So okay. I can, I'm telling you, you can go so crazy even in the book here. Um, let me find nose eyebrow because I'm redoing the course and he's got so much in there. But like, what do bushy eyebrows mean? And they're a little bit different, right? So if you got bushy eyebrows, you're a nonstop thinker. What happens if you have thin eyebrows? I mean, this guy—it's literally been around and been studied since the Greeks. That when you're out there, nuts. so like right here. What do you, what if you have the tangled hairs like you're talking about? Well, then you're an unconventional thinker, right? And because people like order, sometimes it, it, it brings uh, conflict because people want straight and nice eyebrows. So yeah, it's crazy when you dig into this, how much studying has been done since the Greeks on all this. So all of you out there listening, though, every businessman out there, I've been in the professional beauty industry for 30 years, right? That's where I, I cut my teeth in, as far as in my professional uh, life. And what I can tell you this is cut your eyebrows, like cut your eyebrows and make sure they're in line. Because if you're having a conversation in a business conversation, anything, there's two places where a person looks and will not trust you because of it. Number one is your eyebrows. Even if your suit yes. is amazing, trim your damn eyebrows. Number two is trim your ear hair like the ear hair inside your ear hair like that when nobody wants to see that so make sure that those two things and i find that there's so many guys that are so prominent so amazing at business and they got the suit they got the everything lined up and they got some like tentacles coming out their ears and they got some oh, yeah. like they got some hands coming like yeah. trying to grab somebody you know what i mean from their eyebrows yeah. so brian keep keep going okay so the, you said the eyebrows with mine are the the thing cuz i want you to right. Walk the, walk the audience through your looking at me and, sure. you know, and, and, and break me down. Sure. I'm just uh, changing my lighting here because for some reason it's giving me a bad reflection. All right. Um, so the next part, like people can see this on you, but I'm going to have you make some funny faces. So the first one, squint down. So see that line right here that you have? Yeah. That's called the freight train line. That's right? the freight so train? Freight train, freight train line. Because once you make up your mind, you're going to go do stuff. So people can stand in your way and get run over. 
or they can go along with you and then help steer the train. But when somebody has that freight train line, you have to let them just go, right? Because they're going to do it regardless. So you can, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. Doesn't matter. They don't hear you. That's just, they've got the freight train. They're going to make it happen. And so uh, uh, have you met Joe Ingram yet? Joe, I believe so. Yes. Okay. Um, so Joe Ingram has one in there as well. So I make fun of him all the time for it. But uh, because you just know, Joe's always coming with ideas, but people have the freight train line don't just come up with ideas, they implement it. And that's when you see somebody who has a freight train line, you know, that's somebody who's going to give things a shot. So again, if somebody says, I'm going to do this, even if I disagree, I'm going to let them go. And then I'm going to try and steer the train along with them. But if I stand in front of it, I'm going to get run over. So... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for my brother and my wife to listen to hit, listen and, and to hear you, man. Keep keep going, yeah. bro. Like this is oh, yeah. this oh. is unbelievable, man. Sure. So raise your eyebrows up like this. Okay. So see all those lines? Those are called Einstein lines. That's deep, intense study. So you're not a bullet points person. When you dive in, you like to dive in deep and know more than other people do. Now, see the difference between you and I is I have a bunch of broken ones, and you have solid ones. That's the Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours, deep, intense study of wanting to know things, right? And so, sorry, like I said, I've got a really bad glare today. Um, but yeah, so I know when I'm talking to somebody who's got those Einstein lines, number one, you put in the time and effort to study because they're almost earned like an inch at a time when you're learning something. So I know if I go too high bullet levels with you, you're gonna be like, no, I need more information. So I know when I'm dealing with somebody who has really big Einstein lines, Give them the user manual, not just the cheat sheet. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so if I see somebody who has one solid one all the way across their forehead, a common thing I'll ask somebody is, are you an attorney? Are you a doctor? Are you an engineer? Or are you a lawyer? Because those are things that require deep, intense study of one subject all the way across here. And it's almost always there. Now, the other thing I've noticed recently, and this is two things that a lot of actors and actresses have. They have that one solid line because what is their entire job? Memorizing a script to do over and over again. But then they also have, when they squint, you have the one. But if you have more than two lines, you have perfectionist-like tendencies. So I actually grabbed a picture of somebody. Um, I was going to work on a, something earlier today. So I'm a visual person if you can't figure it out because I like to tell, show people things. <laughs> but when you see someone like this. Move it over um, towards where, you well, a little bit further. No, the other way. Yeah, right there. Yeah, right right there. there. All right. So if you can see him. Yeah. Uh, let me tilt it back a little bit. So he's got more than two lines there. Well, that's perfectionist like tendencies when you're talking to somebody. And so literally when you, when you have that and you can see it on someone here, let me move it more towards me. There you go. Yeah. So I don't know if you can see that he's got more than two lines there. And that's the whole thing. When you have that, that means that they have perfectionist like tendencies. So, you know, you've got to give them as much information as possible because they're going to want to put it in order when you're working on it. So, um, yeah, sorry, I, I grab a lot of stuff. I, I'm such a visual person, and this is the, uh, we'll go into how's that work out. So when you see somebody who has larger eyes and smaller ears, then you know that they're more visual than they are auditory. So you say things like, hey, do you see where I'm coming from? Picture this, you know, you say a lot of visual things and you can also listen to people's language. So when I hang up the phone, when I'm talking to somebody, I'm like, all right, I'll see you later. We're having an auditory conversation, but I'm telling people my preferred method and that's visual. And uh, going back to <laughs> when I was married, my wife and I had to have a system because I'm a visual person. She was auditory. And so if I was going to the store and she told me auditorily what to get, I came back with like two of the right things and five things that were wrong. And so we had to come up with a system where she would have to send me a text message of what it was so I could visually see it. And then I would come back with everything that's correct. Now, on the opposite side, 
if she was going to the store and I needed something, if I texted her, it would furiate her. She's like, I'm not a visual person. And so I would just have to tell her what I needed and she would come back with it. So that's again, how you can learn to adapt of it's not what we have in common, but it's how do we speak the same language? Right. So, um, have you ever read the book, the five love languages? Yeah. By, uh, or, or my, actually or my no? wife has, and I, I hang out with my wife. So I feel like I read yeah. it. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I said Craig Chapman. That's an old coworker. Uh, it's Dr. Chapman. And what it is, is how you feel and receive love or even how you give it is different for every person. Yeah. So there's five basics. It's uh, words of affirmation, physical touch, time and attention, acts of service and gift giving. Well, if you learn what somebody else's preferred method is, it's not manipulation. It's building rapport and understanding with people. And it's the same thing. The difference is you can literally look at somebody's face and figure out ahead of time, how can I speak their language? And the really cool thing, the game changer for me was I used to do presentations for a group that was any client over a million dollars, me and two other people were flown out to do these presentations. Well, if I knew who we were going to meet with ahead of time, I'd look them up on LinkedIn and I would analyze their face ahead of time. So when I walked in, I felt like I was meeting with friends instead of walking in cold because I already knew a little bit about them. And the same thing, um, <laughs> I spoke at Steve Sims event in San Diego right before Secret Knock in San Diego. Matter of fact, that's where I met Greg Reed at. And um, I had had Steve added me to the Facebook group. And the whole thing about Steve's uh, speakeasies are you don't know who the speakers are and you don't know the venue location until it's close time. So very similar to Secret Knock, right? And uh, so I'm going through in the back of the room and I had everybody's pictures because when they were in the Facebook group and they'd say, I'm so excited about being here, I would go and find them, stalk them on social media, get a picture of them and figure out, are they auditory? Are they visual? You know, what's how can I speak their language? And what's funny is uh, Matt Mohawk, Matt and his wife, Mandy, uh, they were out there and, and I got to the hotel and nobody knew who I was, but I knew who they all were. So I just walked up and started talking to them. And they thought I'd actually attended a different speakeasy in the past because I wasn't walking up asking the typical, what do you do? Where are you from? But I knew a little bit about them. So when I was talking, I was saying things in their language and they thought we'd met before. So, so you said, you said the eyes and the ears, let's move, let's move down. Let's move down the face. Seems like you're moving from the top to the bottom here. I'm, I'm catching you. Right. You are 100% right. I read people <laughs> like you read a book, top to bottom, left to right. Now, why left to right? Because we're all a little two-faced. And what I mean Ooh. by that is there is a personal side of our face and there's a professional side of our face. And the easy way to remember it when you're looking at somebody is if you were to ask them, hey, are you married? It's a personal question. A wedding ring goes on the left hand. So this is the personal side of somebody's face. Wow. And uh, this is the professional side. And the question I get asked all the time is, well, what if I'm left-handed versus right-handed? doesn't matter because it's about right brain, left brain features and where they're located on your face. So when you're talking to someone, literally you can go and cover up half their face. Like uh, I'll grab one here. Actually, let me grab a different one. So if I cover up half my face, uh-huh. this side is my personal side can be completely different from my professional side. And so that's the first thing when anybody learns this skill is you sit in front of a mirror going and looking at things. <laughs> And that's because what we're born with is genetics, but what we experience in life is epigenetics and epigenetics has an impact on our face because the mind creates a movement and movement creates muscle. So you can take even identical twins, same genetic code, raised in the same household, but different life experiences, different romantic struggles or success, academics, sports, you name it. 
And those all, we make faces. So when our parents told us, don't make that face, it'll get stuck that way. It's kind of a true story. So, um, but going back to what you'd asked, I read people top to bottom, left to right. So the challenge is with a straight on picture, you can't always see what somebody's forehead. Is it rounded? Is it slanted? Is it straight up and down? Okay, so your slants back. So when it slants back, imagine data can come across and just land on your hand, on your forehead. So when you see something done once or twice, you can easily repeat that versus people who have to have the same redundancy done over and over and over again. Then you also have a little bit of what's called a brow ridge right here. And that's this little ridge. So that's, I want to understand every step of the process. Step one, step two, step three, step four. So if I jump from beginning to end and you don't, I don't fill in the middle, you're going to come back and ask just like you did. You're like, Hey, let's go back. Why are you doing this? Right. <laughs> but these are all things I could, I could tell you even with, with, from just a picture of you. Um, so you don't have a lot of upper eyelids, all right? So you're fine doing things by yourself. If other people join you, cool, but it's not a requirement. And, um, you know, it's one of those things. And that's where, let's say that your wife had really full upper eyelids. That's where you could have that conversation. Just say, hey, look, I'm used to doing a lot of things by myself. If you want to join, please, you can always feel free to come in. Or if you're ever feeling like I'm doing too much by myself, remind me. Because it's not a bad reflection of you. It's just the way my brain processes things. So when you learn that about people, it really does help. Uh, next part, you have high and wide cheeks, tons of energy, right? You're not going to be the first one to leave for sure. And that's the high and wide cheeks here. So if you think of cheeks like from the nose out, they're like gas gauges. How long can that person keep going? And people whose cheeks are inset, they're like sprinters. The wider they are, the more like marathoners. So, you know, and let's take in a work environment. Let's say you have a team building, team bonding experience going on. Well, some people are the sprinters, right? If their cheeks are inset. So they want to go, go, go. And then they need to take a break. And I used to work with somebody who had really wide cheeks and he gets so mad when somebody wanted to take a break. He's like, we're still working on this. That's how you work on it. But people need to handle things differently. Right. Or using the example, since we both have the angled eyebrows, if we're dealing with somebody who has rounded eyebrows, well, you and I are thinking, hey, help me understand so I can help other people. And they're going to and they think of, well, I want to help everybody first. I need to take care of them. That's fine. That's how they think. We think help me learn it so I can help other people. What's my angle? And they're thinking about the people around them. So you start figuring out how do you talk to people differently? And I'll show you some pictures. I'll, I'll line up a few pictures and I'll share my screen in a minute and give you different examples so you can see it on other people too. Um, and then uh, nose. So you're gonna have to lean in a little bit. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let me see the other side. All right. And then tilt. Your, here's the funny part. Tilt your head back a little bit. All right, so if you look there on your personal side, your nostrils a little bit smaller than it is on your professional side. So you're a bigger risk taker on your professional side than you are on your personal side, right? And that's because if I said, take a deep breath, you're gonna go through your nose and that's how you can attack things, right? So the larger nostril is what gets more energy and what you can take on. So you'll meet people who literally on one side, it'll be almost like closed shut. And on the other side, it's huge. And you know, on the smaller side, they're more thinking in terms of scarcity. Do I have enough? Am I being taken care of? Because you're like, oh shit, I don't have enough air. Versus somebody who has huge, rounded, abundant nostrils, they tend to take on too much because they keep thinking, I got plenty of energy, I can do it. And uh, I was at this very prominent attorney's, um, I'll do something called paid practice. And what paid practice is, is people pay me an hour to go and read faces, so I do that. But my main living is going and speaking and teaching, kind of like we're doing here today. But I'll go to events and sit down and just tell people about themselves. And the fun part is the Christmas holidays is they don't sit down alone. They either bring coworkers or somebody they're in a relationship with. And then you get the validation of somebody go, oh, well, you're cold reading that person. And I'll say, okay, 
they won't say a word. Don't nod your head. Don't smile and watch the other person. And the other person's going, yeah, that's them. That's them. And I'll, you know, and there's always a skeptic. And here's how you can find a skeptic is <laughs> people who have a flatter upper lip. Well, we say the phrase, keep a stiff upper lip. And what does that mean? It means like, don't share your emotions, right? Like, hey, keep a stiff upper lip. You know, you've got this. Don't get emotional. You'll be fine. Don't share your feelings. Well, that's based on people who have a flatter upper lip don't like talking about themselves first. So invariably, somebody will come up and they'll volunteer like, hurry, read their face. And it's somebody with a flatter upper lip. And I know it's going to go south because the idea that somebody knows them before they announce themselves, they don't like that at all. Mm. And so now I'll go the total opposite of that. I always think somebody who comes up and volunteers in front of a group who has a flatter upper lip, because I know they're getting out of their comfort zone to do that. And I'll bring it up and you'll see them turn, you know, 50 shades of red. And that's the whole reason why is because it's true. When you see somebody who has a flatter upper lip, they don't like people initially knowing a lot about them. Now, let's look at the positive of that feature. Once they start talking about themselves, I know it's game on. We've built rapport. I can now ask those questions. But if I push that agenda before they start talking about themselves, then they're going to feel like I'm like this in their face the whole time. <laughs> so you just learn to, to do that. And I'll give you the same exact advice that got me Steve Sims uh, actually speaking at his event. And that is you have a good full beard, right? But I can't see your upper lip. So if you were to trim that like I do mine so you can see my upper lip, that tells people how approachable you are. So that this is kind of a hidden thing for you right now of we don't know how approachable are you right now that on top of you have the chin extending beard, right? So this is when you when you extend that out and it's in a point, this is saying, look, this is how I handle adversity and criticism, right? And I will stab you with it, right? Because you've got the pointed beard. And that is, so when we say, when we say like, take one on the chin, it's not just a boxing term. We look at chins and figure out how do they handle adversity? And, and if you look at somebody and somebody's got a small chin, do you expect them to be a scrapper? Like, are they going to stand up for what they want? Or are they going to recede like their chin does? So we know these things because we've been taught by authors, artists, Disney shows. You know, you said you had kids. I can turn on any of my daughter's Disney shows and I know who's the hero and who's the villain without them saying a word because of the way that they're drawn. And that's how we, well, I say we're all amateur face readers. We just haven't been formally taught this either, right? But even before you picked up a body language book, if we were talking and I suddenly went like this, you knew something was wrong, even without reading a body language book, right? And it's the same thing with faces. It's just, it used to be part of everyday education. So physiognomy used to be taught in common courses a long time ago. But what happened is there was something known as phrenology. And phrenology is bumps on the head. And what they said is, oh, well, if you have a bump here, you're a criminal, let's throw you in prison. So it was 100% about judgment versus understanding someone. And so physiognomy is known as the art of understanding someone based on their outward appearance versus physiognomy was like, yep, you got this bump right here. That's definitely who you are. So when, physio uh, when phrenology got kicked out because it called itself a science, physiognomy got thrown out with it. Now, part of that was because it was also the idea that uh, politicians, royalty, and things didn't like the idea that the common person could dissect someone and understand them that well. So it's kind of like when you listen to the book, The Secret and all these things, there are so many skills out there that were removed from mainstream education that are really beneficial and should be part of our day-to-day -day 
educational needs, especially for our kids. So Brian, as you got my brain going and I mean, what business leader wouldn't need this? in their organization for all of the, for, I mean, not, I think every single person in the organization to be able to communicate because what, what my pop would always say to me was that the one thing that we work at the least and we fail at the most in life and in business is communication. hundred percent. So what, what, I mean, what business leader wouldn't need this? That's so the courses, I always do sales courses for, you know, first, the reason why is, sales companies or companies have budget for their salespeople because everything you'll say every single sale brings additional money and so that's usually how i get into a corporation is doing it through the sales team but team building team bonding and leadership absolutely need this because like i went to um there was a like a workforce commission that helps people and employers kind of link up and i spoke at their event last week and what i talked about is you know leaders sometimes hire because oh i like you know they like golf they like personality but they don't always know who works for them and and a good example that i mentioned earlier that verbal affirmation line which is a little line across here well if you see somebody who has that pay may be great title may be great but sincere thank you for what they do goes a lot more so i used to have a coworker who this guy was highly successful right and one time i was trying to get him a bonus and one of the other executives said you know, money's good and definitely get that for him. But if you send him a letter that said, hey, thank you for this specific thing, you'll get more out of him than money's important to him, but it's not as important as this other thing. And so you start looking at people. So let's go back to what we talked about with us. If you have people and you've got somebody who straight eyebrows get straight to the point, angled eyebrows, help them understand so they can help other people, rounded eyebrows, think about the people around them. If as a leader and you're talking to people, you start speaking their language. And what I used to do is when I was in these presentations with the two other people, if I was saying something like, um, let's say I was talking about how their customers and coworkers are going to benefit, I would look at that person with the rounded eyebrows, right? Because I knew that's how they think. Or I'll tell you a secret. Um, I mentioned before, I, I was extremely nervous to get up on stage. Did you ever know Shannon that used to work with Greg? Of course, yeah. Okay. So Shannon has these beautiful rounded eyebrows and she was the person I would always look to because I knew she wanted to support other people. So if I'm up on stage, I look for people with the rounded eyebrows because they're there to support other people. And so I know they're my people. And so if I start getting nervous or anything, that's the people I look for is rounded forehead people and people whose eyebrows are straight. You know, they're like, get straight to the point. Come on, move on to it. And then you look for people with angled eyebrows who they're getting it. They're like, wait a minute, like you said, wait a minute, I can understand this. Now it can help these other people, right? So <laughs> you start dealing with people differently. And I'll show a picture in a minute. Of, I did it for an RV dealership one time and it talked about who would you talk to first? And going back to eyebrows, so there's two types of eyebrows. There's high eyebrows and low eyebrows. So when we say what's highbrow humor versus lowbrow humor, you probably never really thought about it, right? But highbrow humor is humor that somebody tells you and it takes you a second to get the joke lowbrow humor is the three stooges or jackass immediately laugh well that's how people with their eyebrows are too so if they have high eyebrows they need more time to process information if they have low eyebrows they get it fast <laughs> i know <laughs> you're not getting off the hook we got to the yeah. lips we got to the lips yeah. you said yeah. the the crease in here uh but right. mine is covered up with some with some hair do sure. you still see um, stuff what about, what about can, if you have, what if you have two big front teeth? 
like my my brothers would all give me a hard time on this and, and you know i got some right. big old teeth like my wife said yeah. to me uh, maybe we should because one of them's turning a little bit of a color you yeah. see that one and yep. she was like, maybe we should get you some veneers. And I said, girl, you have to kill an elephant and get some ivory for that to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? We ain't poaching oh, yeah. like six elephants to be able to do that. Um, but what about like when you have facial hair? So right. there's a couple questions here. Number one, does the big teeth mean anything? Because this would mean something to my brother because he used to always hey. jack me up because I had big old teeth. And I got right. some fangs on me too. Like you can see those. Bad I, have, I got the fangs. Okay. So there's not anything on fangs. So uh, big front teeth is stubborn <laughs> and holds on to their opinion, right? <laughs> yeah. Can you say that again? Say that again sure. for my brother. Bro, so Rob, you were listening to this. Yeah. Uh, stubborn and yet you have the ability to hang on to your position when faced with opposition. So, yes. So okay. big front teeth is stubborn and holds on to their own opinion. What, what about the sharp ones? I, you know, I've got the sharp ones too and there's nothing in the book. I will tell you the things that I don't, uh, that I didn't memorize in the course when I got certified was I stayed away from teeth and I stayed away from ears because like, I can't see your ears and a majority of the time ears are covered. Right. So especially with women, so turn, take them off and turn one way or the other. Okay. So you got good size ears as well. So you're like a double threat, you're auditory and visual, right. At the same time. Um, sometimes like, uh, in one of the, of my uh, presentations, I show people that were judges on the voice because what did they have is they would listen and if they liked who they heard, then they would turn around to see who the singer was. Well, it made perfect sense to me because they had very large ears and they had very small eyes. So they were auditory people first and visual second. And so I'm like, oh, this makes perfect sense why they're judges on the show. Uh, sorry, I bounce around a lot because like I said, I'm used to standing. So, um, but yeah, so then you get to, we talked about upper lip and that is your personal lip. Lower lip is your professional lip. So you can meet somebody who has a super flat, upper lip that just means don't ask them personal questions and then their lower lip can be full and they can talk about business all day long but there's also what's your mouth size so is it a large mouth or sorry a small mouth a large mouth and we say phrases like well you got a big mouth what does that mean it means you talk a lot right so when you see someone who has a small mouth they don't talk very much and so literally it's there's 42 muscles in the face mind creates movement movement creates muscle and so you can look to see these things on somebody. So I was analyzing somebody's face earlier today and he's got a small mouth, but he also had his eyebrows were like sitting on top of his eyes, right? So he understands things very fast. When you meet someone with a small mouth, because they don't talk very much, when they do, they know that they're right. So it's kind of one of those things that you should almost pay attention and lean in when they do talk, because it's something that is going to be a benefit or value and they know their information. So did you ever watch uh, Clerks, the movie with uh, Jay and Silent Bob? Yeah. So I always think of those two characters because you got Jay who talks the entire time, right? But when Bob says something, it's like this stoic, prophetic thing that he says. That's what people with small mouths are like. Chin, chins. And now you said the point, like the, the point right. on it. The reason why, I did, and I maybe I'm uh, the subconscious part. The reason why I did it because I, I don't really have a chin. And yeah. my face is super round, right? Super round. Yep. And, you know, so I got no chin. And it just kind of blends into neck. And yep. so I kind of look like a jack-o'-lantern um, so when, when I do it. Oh, yeah, so move it over the other way. Move it uh, towards your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, there, there we go. Yeah, so even pointed chins have meaning, right, when you're in it. So um, chins are how we handle adversity. So when we say take one on the chin, same thing like you. I've got a smaller chin. And so I grew out a beard. And when I shave it off, I feel like 
two things. One, I look like Uncle Fester, and then two, like my chin disappears, right? So I always have a beard, but here's a perfect example. In the movie 300, it was 300 people against thousands, right, of the Persian army. What did they all have? Big, huge beards, right? And they were pointed. And so I make the joke when I'm talking, I'm like, look, I tried to grow the cool 300 beard. Mine looked like a homeless, can I borrow $3 beard? (laughs) So uh, I've tried to grow out the beard like you have, and I just can't do it. Um, But that's the reason why for that film, they grew the beards out because that's how you take one on the chin. That's how you handle adversity. So there's all kinds of things that you can learn about somebody based on their chin. If it's rounded, they'll stand up and take a beating for the people around them. If it's square and flat, they stand for what they want. So it's like a shovel digging into the ground. They can plant their feet, right? Or their chin in this example and stand their ground or they can bounce back like adversity and criticism. The larger somebody's chin is, the less I have to walk on eggshells around them. Now, conversely, I was at an event the other day and when you're doing this, a few things happen and I want to explain this to people. Usually when I'm doing this, if I, if I'm, what I'll do is I do the presentation first and then I ask for volunteers to come in because I want the, the audience to start reading other people and I'll do it first. But I know when somebody comes up, if they've got a lot of certain features that there's a pretty good chance they're going to tear up or cry. And what's ironic is I just got a package today from a girl that I met in Scottsdale, Arizona a year ago that I read her face and she had rounded eyebrows, very full lids, smaller upper lip, uh, huge verbal affirmation line. And I said, look, everything about you screams that you care about people. I can see it in this eyebrow. I can see you're a wee person because of the eyelid, but that flatter upper lip, you're not telling people what you're doing for them all the time. And you're never going to get that need filled. So that's going to get worse and worse. And she burst into tears in front of everybody. And when that first happened to me years ago, I would lean back, right? Create space. But you don't. You sit in the moment with someone because they finally feel seen and heard. And so what created that line was she wasn't getting that verbal affirmation. And so when I brought it up and I told her how she can fix it, she cried in front of everyone. I just got a Christmas present from her and her husband. And of course, the joke when I first met her husband was, you're the guy who made my wife cry last time. I'm like, yep. (laughs) But you can, the real power of this, assume I'm full of it. The reason I teach eyebrows, so like if anybody goes to subtleskills.com, they can download the three eyebrow cheat sheet. Yes, you give me an email, whatever. But the reason I teach eyebrows are because eyebrows lead to eye contact. And that is a skill that we are losing faster and faster as we use more and more of these, right? Um, I refuse to get a smartwatch, not because I think they're freaking awesome, but I know I would be, uh-huh, yep. Okay, what? Well, uh-huh, yep. So I to save me from myself, I can't get a smartwatch. But this is what I know is modern technology is ruining face-to-face communication and face-to-face is so important. It's the entire reason, like uh, we mentioned before, I, I used to travel a lot and I still do. I don't call my daughter who's five. I FaceTime with her, right? Because that's how you create connection. Even when you're not here, why were podcasts cool, but like this, where you can see each other, it's that much more important because we want to see the person we're talking to. That's how we build trust and Really, we've struggled a lot, and I'm going to point to, I'll bring up another book. Um, After we went through the lockdown, people forgot how to communicate with other people except for outside of Zoom. And the best part about what I teach with how to understand people based on their facial features is just like us, right? You can only see so much of somebody over a Zoom call. So all the traditional things of how to win friends and influence people, well, you can see a few of my books, but if I do a virtual background, you can't see anything about me. Um, body language is important, but you can't see what am I doing? Where are my arms? Are my legs crossed? Am I nervous? Is my knee shaking? 
So we've lost a lot of those skills that were highly valuable before. And I think everybody should learn body language. Two books I recommend. One is uh, What Everybody is Saying by Joe Navarro, former FBI um, investigator. And that book is great because it's got a ton of pictures. That's how do you understand somebody else's body language. My friend Janine Driver wrote You Say More Than You Think. And this is a seven-day plan on examining your own body language. And so you can see... Look, I don't just read books. I like dissect them. I write my notes, my thoughts. I don't take this stuff lightly, but I think this is a great book everybody needs as well. Um, and that's because we've gotten so used to texting, emailing, you know, even I, I make videos now for content, but I'm not interacting with people. And that's why it's so important. <laughs> it drives me nuts. There's somebody on a, um, um, a masterclass I'm in all the time that their camera is here and they're talking the whole time. And I'm like, dude, I'm over here, right? Like we want face-to-face -face communication. And, um, but when you look at somebody's face, the reason I teach this is number one, it saved me prison of my own mind, got me into the present moment. If you've ever read the book, man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl, the first half of the book is what he went through going to a concentration camp and he was a doctor. So he, he got to interact with a lot of people. And the second half of the book is what he learned from that. And what he learned is the people who survived the concentration camps were the people who wasn't about self-preservation. It was, I want to see my wife again. I want to see my husband again. I want to see my parents. I want to see my kids. I want to see my dog. When people make it about something outside of themselves, we get out of our own way. And that's what this teaches, right? Because this day and age where we're always like, uh-huh, yep, okay, cool, uh, when I'm reading your facial features, I'm giving you my time and attention. And that's how you build rapport with people. I can go to places that I haven't seen people in a long time. They're like, it's the eyebrow guy. And that's because I teach the eyebrows because eyebrows lead to eye contact. And it's something you can do from far away. It's something you can do close. Um, you know, there's still, I was in Seattle two weeks ago. People are back to wearing masks. And if I wear a mask, how much of my face can you see? You can see my eyes, my eyebrows. So that's why when I'm teaching in courses, if I have a 45 minute keynote speech, I talk about eyebrow height, eyebrow shape, upper eyelid, eye angle, lower eyelid, because those are all things that you can still see, even if I'm wearing a mask. So as you started to master this stuff, Brian, what were some of the things that you started to see and develop? Because I think a lot of times when say when we study something, um, mm -hmm. there's nuances that we're like, oh, wow, we start to come through with our own kind of theories on these things and they become right. very clear, but it's not clear to the normal person. What sure. are some of those things for you in this practice? For me, I like I showed you the book I learned from. And matter of fact, I had, I had lunch with Mac two days ago. My mentor, he's freaking amazing. He taught me this skill. He was an attorney, so he puts things in very um, analytical language, I guess would be the way to say it. So he calls them curved eyebrows. Well, that doesn't help you remember it. So if I say rounded eyebrows, you think about the people around you. That's my touch. That's my spin on it is as I describe the feature, I describe what you learn from the feature so people can learn it that much faster. And that's my background of being a, t a corporate trainer was you had to take highly technical information and put it in ways that people can remember. Well, people remember like songs. People remember when you rhyme or when you're describing something, if it describes what you want to learn, that's what works. And that's what I learned from people. Um, so the, the thing that I always teach again, eyebrows are the, are the first thing because I want that eye contact to be there. Well, that's what I mainly come on to is eye contact makes a world of difference. Wow. You can have crossed arms, you can have crossed legs, 
But if somebody's paying attention to you, you notice, right? So when you're talking to someone, if they're giving you eye contact, it's great. If I'm doing this, how do you feel? You know, like, oh, they're not paying any attention to me. So um, I, the very first slide I have now, it starts off saying this is an unfair advantage and why. And there's a picture and there's people who are blurred out who are on their phones because the speaker's making it about them. So you see the speaker's arm very clearly, but everybody else is, is blurred out. And that's because people are making it about them. But when you focus on your audience, all of a sudden the audience is clear in the background and then they're paying attention back to the speaker. Um, James Dentley spoke at Secret Knock, that same one I did. And after I got off stage, he knew I was nervous. And he came up to me, he goes, do you know why you're nervous? And I'm like, because I, I was up on stage in front of 500 people. <laughs> and Greg told me I had two minutes. Um, he goes, you're making it about you. And when you stop and you make it about what you're teaching and how your audience will benefit from it, you already know your topic and those people, when you focus on helping those people and you make it about your audience and not about you, your nervousness goes away. And that changed my life. So Brian, how much of this too is, is environmental, right? So when you were talking about like the, the angle, right? So a person having an angle and then wanting to help others or helping the people around them. Um, a person generally, I find that a person that wants to help some all the people around them have right. got, that person most of the time when when you when you investigate and you get closer to them, right. they've had they've had traumas in their life that have caused them to want to make sure that the other people in their lives don't have that trauma. Correct. So, how much of the facial muscle structure feature is environmental and how much of it is just born in? So genetics is what you're born with and it all depends on how much we impact it. So genetics is what you're born with. Epigenetics is the environmental. Well, it all depends on how hard or how hard or easy were those environmental factors. So for example, if you were in school and everything just kind of came as a breeze to you, then you don't get those Einstein lines. You kind of just have this forehead that's kind of flat and you don't have those lines. If you had to study because you just didn't get it immediately or you dove deeper than other people, that's what creates those Einstein lines across here. So it all depends on what did they experience in life and how hard was it? So these lines right here in somebody's face, and I don't normally cover this, are called disappointment lines. And these down here are called grief. So if they're really deep here, these are disappointment. These down here are grief lines. And you can look at somebody's face and you can tell have they had a harder time in their professional life or sorry, I'm, I'm backwards. I was looking myself on the screen in their professional life or in their personal life. And there's a, do you know who Glenn Morshower is? I the don't actor? know. No. Okay. He's in Transformers. He always plays a military guy. Okay. Um, we were on Clubhouse and he actually lives here in Dallas, but he was on 24. He was on Transformers and everything. And we were, when look, Clubhouse got me through the lockdown because I, again, I like to be around people and I couldn't. So I was on Clubhouse nonstop when I wasn't working. I'm talking like till two or three in the morning. And Glenn Morshower was in a room and Joe Ingram introduced me and said, hey, Brian, analyze his features. And I grabbed two pictures of him. And one was a picture and he didn't have that deep of a line right here. And the next one he did. And I, I picked it. And he goes, you know, it's really ironic that you chose that picture. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what happened, but you had really a personal disappointment, like grief type thing that you went through. And he said, that was, I was filming on the set of 24 and I'd just been told that my brother that I was closest to had died. Mm -hmm. And that it was that fast that your line, just from making that face over and over again, your face is very resilient, but muscle tension can be real, right? Like if you've ever had a, a leg cramp, 
your face can do the same thing. It can immediately create that line. And my mentor, Mac, tells a story of, and we live in Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, plastic surgery is just like it is out there in California, pretty popular. And he was talking to a lady and she's like, well, you can't tell anything about me because of this and that. And uh, he, he was reading a few faces. Well, she had the grief lines and he said, I don't know what you went through, but you know, it basically you had this line here and all of a sudden this line, it's like it fought through the Botox, uh, Botox and the disappointment crept back in right in front of them. Now I haven't ever had that happen to me, but it's a story that Mac tells and that's where muscle memory kicks in. That's the whole reason why Botox, it just isn't, it's a paralyzer, but as soon as it, it wears off, what happens, all those same muscles come right back. Now, to answer a question that also follows along with that, if you've ever seen someone who has a stroke, the reason we don't recognize them is because they lost that muscle to their face, right? And it kind of droops. Or if you've ever unfortunately been to an open casket funeral, when all that muscle tension is gone, we don't recognize the person in the casket. And that's because they're no longer tensing those muscles in the face and moving. So um, I told you earlier, I'd show one. So let me see if I can get it there. So this is a picture of me at 18 versus 38, right? And a little bit. So those are all the differences in my face. So you look at me as a kid, I used to have a straight eyebrow here, uh -huh. right? And now I have the angled eyebrow. My ears used to stick out more and now they don't. And I didn't get my ears pinned. They adjust over time. I didn't have when I was a kid in this earlobe, you don't see it, but as an adult, I have what's called a heart line. And that is, I need to keep an eye on my cholesterol and everything else. So all these things can happen to your face over time where you go from like, this is where I look like today. See how my eye angles, one is angled straight. My uh, personal one, my professional one angles up. Look at me as a kid. I used to have two eyes that angled really down because I was raised in an environment that was a very loving household where they could tell you every single thing that could potentially go wrong. And so I was always looking out for what can go wrong, what can go wrong, what's the worst case scenario. And it wasn't negative. I wasn't as extreme like, oh, it's all going to fail. It was more of a, I need to be careful and watch out in what I do. So that's how I was raised was in an environment of it's fine to kind of do what you want, but you need to be thinking of backup plans and what ifs and everything else. So, I mean, every parent needs to have this too, because this, this could help with your teenage daughter or your teenage son or the things that they're going through. And Absolutely. see, th this is so cool to be able to talk to you about it because again, like I I'm, I'm on the petty side, uh, Brian. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get this and then I'm gonna break people down. And right. that's why I like hanging out with you. Cause you have such a great heart. I'm, maybe yeah. I need to, that's why God had you on the podcast today is cause I need my heart, uh, you know, yeah. better. Um, but I, now, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, wow, it's so amazing how you can contribute to so many people if you're seeing these things. What mm -hmm. do you see? What do you see in these these lines here? And and I, I want to ask you this because I could glaze over it and be like, uh huh, uh huh, I get it. I don't right. know what you're talking about on the grief lines. I don't know where they're at. I don't see them on me. I don't see them on you. You have a beard. I don't have. I have a beard. But sure, let me let, let's go to these lines first. What do you see in these lines? So yeah, so look at your personal side. See how that line goes so much deeper down your face. So it's the same. Like this uh, side your, yep, where your wedding ring is is a personal okay, side of your face. Look how deep that is. That's you've been through some stuff on your personal side because it's fairly deep here, right? Yeah. Struggle, strife, that kind of stuff. That's what creates that deep line on your personal side. It's a little bit deep on this side, but it's not as deep as it is on your personal side, okay. right? So that's going through a lot. Um, I was trying to find an example of grief lines. Give me a second because I downloaded. Do you a bunch see, of can you see my grief lines? I can't see them because your, your beard covers just like mine. 
but it's very easy to see on women. Um, that's what, what I was looking for. What about crow's feet? What about crow's feet and like the stuff crow's underneath the eyes? Sure. That just mean you need some sleep? So, no, that, that is part. Part of it's just squinting <laughs> over and over again, right? When we squint. But what you have here is called courage lines. So courage lines are when they come across like here, like above your cheek, but below your eye. When you see that, and I have some of those, those are called courage lines. And that's one of the things that is it goes along with a lot of rounded features. But I was always standing up for the people like I can remember being when I got my Microsoft certification, all these people were griping in class about what we weren't learning. And I went and I typed up this whole four page thing of this is what the school could do to improve what it is like for the students. And I, it, I was nervous to turn it in, but I was like, I'm doing it for everybody else. And that's one of the things like if you ask anybody who ever worked for me, like, look, was I always on top of stuff? No. But was I always defending the people that worked for me? Like I would go to the CEO and be like, no, this is wrong. This is not right. And several things. And that's what it ultimately got me shot in a lot of places was standing up for other people. And you can see that in people with courage lines. Uh, but yeah, there's all kinds of things. So you can look at, and that's why I love the book is because there's some things I don't have memorized. And so like you were talking about with um, lines. Doo, doo, doo. Okay, so uh, before I forget, I just ran across this one. So it is, look, there's your pointed beard, right? What's the pointed goal beard? Oriented. Tell me the pointed beard again. Sure. Uh, Goal-oriented and dominating presence, <laughs> right? Yeah. You let little stand in your way, including other people's feelings. You act on your ideas. You're usually in control and often have a dominating presence. So, <laughs> um, all right. So you're like, so they call them grief or compassion lines. So that is like, right. So that's the disappointment. That's what a grief or compassion like line down looks like. that way. Yep. And that's why it's hard. Pull back. Oh, it's just hard to see because you have the hair. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So even like I've been doing this for 10 years and there's still ones I don't always know. Like I know the disappointment. I know grief. Yeah. Um, I, I forget crow's feet. I don't do ears. Like there's all kinds of things like is the inner he ear helix stick out or in. I don't do that because I don't see it on a majority of people. Um, Can you see if a young girl's going to choose a stupid boy in her life? There are. <laughs> I, uh, I have. have you seen have you seen the uh, viral that I did with Ryan Majin that uh, or Majin that went kind of viral? No, I didn't see it. 3.5 million views. And it was, uh, it's on my Instagram was one of the ones that's pinned. And it was, can you tell if a girl slept with a lot of guys? And the answer was no, because there's not like a notch on anybody's face about guy or girl, right? But what are facial features of someone who'd be more likely to get physical faster is this area right here, if it's wide, so it's called a frenulum or whatever that hangs right, right above your lip, but below your nose, excuse me, is this wide area here? Well, the wider that is, the more physically demonstrative somebody is. So if you've read the five love languages, that's somebody whose physical touch is their, their thing. Well, sex is obviously physical touch. If they are looking, if they have that deep verbal affirmation line, then if you give them sincere verbal compliments, it brings them that much closer to somebody. So there are things that you can look at on people and figure out, okay, who's a hugger versus a handshake. So I use that um, all the time. If you see this area is wide, and you go to give them a handshake and you're not sure if you should give them a hug, then what you do is you do the double handshake, right? You give them the one hand and then you, you touch them with your second hand also. So for, would this, would this, uh, <laughs> this theory work? Yeah. If a woman had like these lines, right. And she was like, Oh, I'm about mm -hmm. to go to the doctor cause I need to get some filler. Right. Could 
if she dealt with her challenges, if she dealt with it head on, would you start to see right. those go away? No, unfortunately, faces are like maps. So once you've been there and it shows you where you've been on the territory, or sorry, you can't see my hand. Okay. So uh, faces are like maps, right? So once you've been on a certain road, it's been drawn in there. The road doesn't go away because that's where you've been. So if you think of somebody's faces, it's a map of where they've been. Now, okay. can, you, can you put the filler in that makes it where you can't see it? Yes, but will it eventually come back? Yes. But you couldn't change your behaviors to to change those lines, right? Right. So once a line is there, it's pretty much there. Now, what you can change, you can change where the muscles of features are. So, for example, if somebody has a downturned mouth, it's uh -huh. because they've been disappointed over and over again. So when you pout, what do you do? You create that line, right? Okay. And when you have that happen over and over, you get to have a downturned mouth. Now, if you experience a lot of things that go good and you're smiling more, then your mouth will slowly turn back up. So there are features that you can change. I also showed you the angles of my eyes. Well, they were very angled down when I was a kid because that's the environment I was raised in. When I got into self-development and saw professional success, then what happened is my personal eye, right, it angled up to being even. So now tell me the pros, tell me the cons. And then my professional side, I like to look at the positive. So if you notice the way I talk about facial features, I try and put what's the positive light about things, even when they're a negative thing. Like, so for example, I mentioned I have the, the heart lines in my ears here. So I don't know if you can see this line uh -huh. um, and I've got it on both sides. That means I need to watch my cholesterol, heart disease, things of that nature. And I could say, oh shit, you got heart lines. Or I could say, hey, you have heart lines, which means you need to keep these in check and make sure that you're doing okay. So it's, it's a funny phrase, but it gets to the point of, I'm not a cashier. I'm a financial transaction specialist. There's easy ways to deliver bad news. And that's one of the things I, on the um, TikTok, on Instagram, people are like, oh, you're just gaslighting people. No, I'm telling people what their face says about them. Now, there are negative features on people's face. Angled features could be seen as negative. If you see somebody whose nose downturns that you can't see their nostrils, that's the person who they, in every villain movie you've ever seen, all the villain's nose turns down. That's because they're blocking off the air, right? Nobody can steal my air. And they're the person that you hear say, oh, you know, to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. As long as they achieve their goal, they don't care about the other impact. And it's literally watch cartoons, look at witches, look at vampires, look at, uh, you know, Megamind, you name it. They all have downturned nose features. So you see that. So you see pointed chins like we showed you with yours. So a pointed chin and downturned nose, right? And angled eyes is a very authoritarian person, right? The angled eyes. The downturn knows I'm in it for me. I'm covering my own air. Everybody else, you know what? What happens, happens. And then the pointed chin is I will stab people who try and get in my way. <laughs> so right. so do, do I have the downturn nose too? You get, no, because I can see part of your nostrils. Okay, You'll know right. a downturn nose. Okay, I was, um, I was about to say, because I got them, them eyebrows and then you said the chin that I'm about to stab you. I, yeah. I, I, I better not stab people, man. <laughs> yeah. I need to, no, I need that's to work on it. That, like it said, I'm very pointed. I will go after my goals. I'm goal-oriented. I will chisel away until I get there with my chin, right? Like I said earlier, man, it's it's uncanny to be able to to experience it. And I see, I see too, with, with so many um, leaders, with so many companies. I mean, if you're a company out there and you haven't experienced Brian, you need to experience Brian and you need to have him to come and, and spend some time. I think not only with the salespeople though, yeah. 
Yeah. Like, look at a devil, right? Angled eyes, pointed features, downturned nose, pointy chin. Now, I can see know. a little bit of his nostrils. Right. You can see a little bit of his. So, normally when it's drawn in, it's a much more like the nose angles down. Yeah. I just grabbed the first picture on Google. Okay. So, That's yeah. crazy, though. Oh, here, here's a better one. So, now you can see his nostrils because it's turned sideways. Oh, I keep uh, way, yeah, right there. there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, see I how the see nose it. is downturned? Yeah. And again, what do you see? All pointed features, horns, angled eyebrows, pointed chin, right? Downturned nose. Now, do artists that are that are drawing this, do they know those things? Or are they just doing them because of memory? Well, they're repeating what they've already seen. But remember, the original artists and authors used to take courses on something called physiognomy. So there's a good, perfect example. Yeah. So if you do the same thing, you type in witches, right? Um, so these why, are features. why are you always going to the negative ones, Brian? Why don't we bring well, some happy dudes? Give me a happy I looking do. dude. You, you, I was just Come explaining on, that Brian. people say what are some negative you're ones. You're a jolly, so. you're a jolly man. I like this. Man. I am. You're you're I, a happy. I just want to show you the negative because people always see. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I so see you can that. still see nostril, but see how it's it's blocking Point it down. down, blocking it like take yeah. not to, don't take my hair. Help help me out with some joy though, man. Like give me some fun, oh, yeah. give me some happy faces. Well, oh yeah, I, can, I absolutely can. That's why I normally cover too. So <laughs> if you think about smiley faces, right? Everybody loves a smiley face. So if you have an upturned mouth, yeah. you're a very positive, happy person. You know, the rounded features, that's great that you care about other people. What, you know, what about it, the person, Brian, what about the person that you know is not telling you the truth, but they're smiling and you, but because a person who reads people or is around people and I've got it, I mean, for me, I've got a chance to just be around. I love, love people, love studying them. I, yeah. You're a master at what you do. You know when the guy who's trying to sell you the car that you can't afford is smiling. Right. What are some of the the um, features that sure. that causes us to feel like ah I don't trust this dude? Sure. So that's more of micro expressions with Paul Ekman. That, and everybody should learn some basic micro expressions. But I'll give you a few. So the first one was if I smile like this. It's not a real smile because when people genuinely smile because they didn't like it, their their eyes crease a little bit. So when somebody gives you, it's called a contemptuous smile. It's either a half smile, like, like, hey, got a good deal for you. Yet your eyes don't crinkle. So when you have genuine joy and you're like, man, it's so good to see you. And it's a legitimate smile. You have a little bit of crinkling of the eyes. Okay. But when somebody puts a fake smile, they're controlling from here to here. Or the other one that's a contemptuous smile is this. Right. It's not a genuine smile. Now, some people do that because they have bad teeth and they are they're they're nervous about showing that emotion. So going the polar opposite, when somebody smiles so big that you see gums, people are like, oh, great, I have a gummy smile. That is the absolute worst way to look at it. The way that I explain it is when you smile, you give everyone so much of your all you show your entire teeth. And when people understand that, they no longer think of, oh, I've got a gummy smile, which it's not. Who cares if your freaking gums show? You're showing me the inside of your mouth. Why do gums matter? But when you see people that have that smile, that's somebody who gives their all. And so they'll have a little bit. So I know a girl who went in, you can actually have Botox put in the top up underneath your lip so that when you smile, it wouldn't go all the way up. So she wouldn't show gums because she was so self-conscious about it. It's incredible too, because you know, the, the confidence level that when you're talking about it, if, if more people knew about like, and I think there's no more people now need to know you, Brian, but yeah. if more people knew you, 
um, and and spent time with you, their self confidence would raise. Like and and you do that um, mm-hmm. with an amazing. I mean, it's an art form that you do. But even when you and I talked at Secret Knock, you came mm-hmm. up to me. I was in one of the book lines. Um, you just grabbed me. We started chatting, and you made me feel seriously like I was the only dude in the room. Is that what? How have you been able to craft that type of art? It's time and attention. That that's when the difference is people know when you have commission breath and they're making it about them. Mm. That's why I, I, the number one tip I give people right now is stop asking, what do you do? Because all people hear is what can you do for me? So if you want to learn about somebody else, you say, Hey, now that we can all travel again, now that the world's opening back up, where you can go next for your vacation, because that'll tell you, what do they like to do? Are they adventurous? Do they want to lay on a beach? Do they want to go to a swim up bar? Do they want to go hiking in the mountains? You know, you learn more about somebody because people plan their vacation, people show up to work. And the, if somebody's at a job that they hate and you just ask them what they do and they have to mentally go back to their job, they subconsciously dislike you at the exact same time. So learn to be different, learn to stand out, ask questions that make people think and tell you a little bit about who they are. And even if they have a flatter upper lip, I'm not saying, tell me about you. I'm saying, tell me where you want to go on vacation. And that can start a whole stream of conversations with people, right? Because people like to talk, but again, if they got a flatter upper lip, they don't like talking about themselves, but they'll tell you about this town in Italy that you should go visit because of dot, dot, dot that they experienced because it's not giving away personal information. But if they could also turn around and say, I absolutely love hiking. It's what gives me joy, you know, out in the wilderness, then they're telling you about them. But like me, I didn't search out the career I was in. I found my way into it by fluke chance and I kept getting promoted. So it wasn't a dream job. It was a job that I just kept getting promoted in and I stayed, but I didn't love it. So if you asked me about it, I, I wouldn't change it. And I would say, Hey, I've been in and out of jail the last 21 years, right? Like as a joke, <laughs> but a lot of people dislike their job. And so when you ask him about it, it has a negative connotation. And what people are missing is people don't feel seen and heard like we used to because conversations used to take place in person, right? Now we don't answer the phone. We text somebody calls you. What do you need? Right. And that's why I love going to events. Like when we were talking before, I can't remember if we were recording yet or not, but what we talked about is what you do in your spare time tells you what you love. I love to go into conferences because I am a continuous learner. Um, now, what I used to be horrible about was going and taking notes and never doing a single thing with it. And uh, Bradley, uh, if you know Brad, huge fan of Brad. I'm on his Tuesday. It's called Closer School Live. And one time he said the simplest thing that changed my life, and that is you get what you tolerate. And I was like, holy crap. I'm in a relationship I'm unhappy in. I'm at a job I'm unhappy in, and I'm tolerating it. And that's what changed my life. So I, I tell Brad, I'm like, Brad, it's kind of your fault. I got divorced <laughs> and it wasn't anything bad, but I realized I was unhappy and that's no way to live life. And I was in two bad relationships and I got out of one and then I recently got out of the other one, right? Corporate America. And that's the thing is most people just go with the flow because we've been taught, go to school, get a job, work till you're old and then die, right? Look, hey, at 67, you can retire and finally do what you want. Why do we have to wait till 67? But that's what we're taught to do because our parents were raised by their parents. So they went from agricultural farm life, right? There was nothing to do. Like, and I'm going to go off on a weird tangent. So feel free to, re- to ring me in here, but, or reel me in. I don't know that my parents or sorry, grandparents knew love. Like we think of love today, 
because at the time you had to get married to get out of your parents' home. You didn't have 24 hour fitness. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have anything. You kind of found somebody you tolerated with the radio went off at a certain time. You went to bed, you know, you didn't have these deep conversations and things like we expect now everything to be perfect because we live in a society that there is no such thing as a TV repair shop anymore. And now we have so many options that we think, oh, if something's not working, I'll just go find a new one. And I think people put time and effort in back then. And I think what our modern expectations of relationships are and what we should do for work, a lot of it is based on things of how things used to be. So it made perfect sense why there was a nine to five work time when they were factories. And that's where jobs were. Farmers worked sun up to sundown. We can work 24 hours a day now, but we're still not encouraged to do it because corporations need employees. Right. So it's, it's an interesting time we live in. And because most people work for a corporation yourself, I mean, myself included, right. I was a number and a cog for a very, very long time. When you're there, do you feel like a person or do you feel like your title? And that's why when you learn to analyze people's faces, you're telling them about them, not what their title is, not what company they work for. What does your face tell me about you? And that's what people are missing is feeling seen and heard. Man, Brian, you are <laughs> dropping bombs, man. It's it's incredible, man. I started the podcast because my kids and yeah. uh, Maddox and McKenna. And uh, Maddox is 11 years old and McKenna just turned 14 a couple days ago. And mm -hmm. I wanted to take iconic people like you. They were masters at their craft. And I wanted to show my kids that there wasn't any idols in life. They could have icons, but yes. there was only one place that they needed to worship, and that wasn't any person. Uh, uh -huh. But icons have phenomenal attitudes and crazy work ethic. So what advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could say both their names, it would be awesome. Sure. Yeah, Maddox and McKenna. Here's the advice I have for you. Learn what is outside of school. And the reason being is school has taught you to learn basic things that help you a little bit in life. But the things that you can really truly learn from are outside of the school system. So pick up books on body language, figure out how to interact with other people, because life is about the people you meet that you can both help and can help you. And that's the big difference is we're taught all the wrong things in school, right? Don't let anybody help you or it's cheating. But in life, the only way to get ahead is with the help of other people. And that's either you helping them or them helping you, because as a, as a team and as a we, we build things together right? You can do some things on your own and that's completely fine. But really what life is about is interacting and working with other people. Brian, you are incredible, man. Uh, everyone out there listening, uh, subtleskills.com. Uh, is it Brian Gaki on uh, Instagram? Uh, everything's pretty much subtle skills. I do have Brian Gaki. That's more like family stuff, my kids, but mainly everything is subtle skills or it sometimes people don't know how to sell subtle, <laughs> spell subtle. So you can also go learn, learn to We'll just redirect you right to the same place. <laughs> Look, I bought every like variation I can think of subtle skill without an S, uh, S U T. I actually need to go buy another one, but yeah, like because people don't know how to set to spell subtle, <laughs> right? Because it sounds like S U T T L E. So I'm gonna go buy that after we get off of here <laughs> and just redirect it. But yeah. Man, you, you have been, yeah. well, you, you've been absolutely phenomenal, man. And I, I, I really, really, really appreciate you. And, and what I, what I love about it is the, you can see from, you know, if you're watching on YouTube and you haven't subscribed yet, mash that button guys, please do it. Cause my son will think I'm cool. Um, but 
if you're watching, you can see, if you're watching on Spotify too, you can see Brian's face. And, and the cool thing is, man, and I want to compliment you on this. You do not go into presentation mode. And no. I, I watched this in speakers and uh, pre like uh, presenters. And a lot of times they go into speaking voice and they go into speaking like personality. And yes. it shuts a lot of people off. You know, it shuts a lot of people down or the, the information just isn't received as well. And you are an incredible, incredible human being, man. And I, I'm just I'm very, very fortunate um, to have you in my life. And I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I am guilty of that I do have like I'll, I asked you before here, like, are we doing a presentation? Are we having a conversation because some podcasts, they just want you to do a presentation. So I have 45 slides that I could go through. But this is way more fun because interactivity is how we learn. And the the number one takeaway, the reason I kept showing the book is because I want everybody to know this is a learned skill. It's not anything I was born with. It's something every single person can pick up. I don't care if you buy Mac's book. Look, I make nothing off of this other than this is my mentor's old book, right? The Power of Face Reading. Um, I do sell his flashcards. But what I want people to know is this is a learned skill that can change lives. Because when you help people feel seen and heard, it makes a world of difference. So if I can give a, a two parting stories real fast. One is I went to a wedding at uh, Jekyll Island, which is a Florida, Georgia line. And our server came over and he was filling up our glasses. You can see he was just kind of having a bad day. And I noticed his name tag said Hungarian. And I'm like, okay, hey, I've been to Budapest. I told you the story earlier. I learned basic phrases everywhere we go. So as he's filling up my wine glass, I said, Kosono. He goes, what? I said, well, I saw your badge said Hungarian, and so I wanted to say thank you in Hungarian. He's like, you speak Hungarian? And I said, well, I've been to Budapest, and you know, I showed him a few pictures. Guess whose wine glass was never empty the rest of the time? Not just mine. Everybody at the table, because I made him feel seen and heard, instead of just being a servant. right? And so my big challenge to everybody is don't just buy the next cup of coffee for the next person at Starbucks. If you treat the barista and the cashier as a person, you make them feel happier and then you have a ripple effect on everybody else that's in line after you, not just the next person. So that's go out, test this, try it, make people feel seen and heard and it'll make a difference. Brian, you're, you're incredible, man. I can't wait to have you on the show again. I'm going to ask you in front of everyone that's listening, uh, if you'll be on the show again and, uh, oh, absolutely. yeah. So, and it's going to be great. It's going to be great to be able to see you at secret knock. Hopefully we'll get to see you at prosperity camp too. And, um, you know, you are making an absolute difference, man. And I love you a bunch. And I, I want to thank you so much for being on the show, man. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm glad you're in the mastermind now. And I look forward to seeing you at those events. You're officially off the hot seat. <laughs>